watching and uh, like to thank them very much and, and to our wreath layers as well, to John and, and for Leslie. I hope I haven't missed anyone out uh, with, with all of that. For all that was, was just unscripted. I, 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 I haven't written all that down, but just uh, thinking about all of those that have taken part tonight, thank you so much. And we trust that God will bless us through the continuation of the service. Uh, we're going to turn in the Word of God to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. The book of Hebrews chapter 2. And there is just one verse I want to read to you. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2 and the verse number 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Let us have a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, we come into your holy presence. We thank you for the word of God. And as we would consider your word to learn what you would have to say to us tonight, we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. And so we pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen and amen. Tonight, for a, a few moments, I want to talk to you about the captain of our salvation. The title captain reminds us of one who is a leader, especially a military leader. In terms of the army, a captain is a commissioned officer, one responsible for leading men on the ground into battle. In terms of the navy, or indeed of the merchant navy, the captain has powerful legal powers to command his ship, his word, his law. And here in Hebrews chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the captain of our salvation. The word captain here simply refers to one who is a leader. A powerful and successful leader, a dominant leader, a conquering leader. He could be a general. Certainly it refers to someone who, who dominates in terms of his leadership. And Christ here is simply called the captain of our salvation. History, you know, has been molded by men who were successful generals, brave leaders, strategic Thinkers, charismatic personalities who could inspire courage and win the loyalty of all those that were under their command. Not every great military leader who is renowned was successful. Some great leaders, skilled leaders, lost. But still their skill and courage continues to be renowned in history. Hannibal led the North African armies against the Romans. He took his war elephants into Spain, crossed the Alps into Italy in the Punic Wars. He lost those wars, but he will forever be remembered for his skill and courage. Alexander, the Greek leader, was a conquering man. In a decade, he turned Greece into a superpower, commanding an empire that spread from Europe to India. His men would have done anything for him. Julius Caesar placed the Roman eagle on the soil of Britannia, 
But he wasn't actually the one who absolutely conquered Britannia. Agricola was the Roman general who would win Britannia for the Romans. And then there was Queen Boadicea. She, of course, was a a lady. And she led her Anglo-Saxons against the Romans, catching them by surprise, give them fierce trouble. And she was a woman to be reckoned with. But she lost, but she is still remembered for her courage. A Briton called Constantine declared, was declared Roman emperor in York by his army. But there were two rivals for the throne of the Caesars. But he went to Italy and he fought off those rivals and became the first Christian emperor of Rome. A little-known Swedish king called Augustus Adolphus is recognized as one of the greatest military leaders in world history. He took his armies into Germany during the Thirty Years' War to defend the rights of Protestants after the Reformation. And in the process, he turned Sweden into a most important European power. But he died in the process. He laid down his life, but will always be remembered. Another famous warrior of that period of history was, Rome, was Oliver Cromwell. Over 40 battles he fought, and he lost none. And whenever he formed the new model army, he laid the foundations of the modern British army. And there is William of France. He took on, and there is William of Orange, and he took on France, the great superpower at that time. And he, he won. He was remarkably successful. And we remember his, his Actions, of course, here in Ireland. In our more recent military history that we commemorate today, we remember an Ulster man, General Montgomery, Field Marshal, who led the British forces to victory against Rommel in North Africa, an event that it is believed turned the tide of the war, which up until that point in time was moving decisively against the Allies during the opening years of World War II. And so there are many heroes in history, many great leaders, great leaders that have molded and shaped the very times in which we live. But of all of the heroes of history, there is no one who can match Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. And it is interesting that Christ is here compared to a warrior A great warrior who accomplished something great and remarkable with his actions. Because we are told here in Hebrews 2 in the verse 10, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so there are four basic points I want you to think about, four observations in relation to Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. First of all, let's think about his commissioning. As a captain, he was commissioned. He was commissioned by God the Father to enter this world to be our Savior. And that's the most important word whenever we think about Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Whenever Britain went to war against Germany. It it was for the salvation of the nation. It was life or death situation. History depended upon those actions that Mr. Churchill took at that time. 
Whenever Jesus Christ was commissioned to be our Savior, He did it to save us from our sins. He did it that we might be redeemed and that we might be set free from the curse of God's law. He was commissioned to be our Savior because we need saving. We need saving from our sin, from our personal sin. We need saving from the consequences of our sin. We need saving from the pollution of our sin, and we need saving from the penalty of our sin, because one day we'll all stand before God and give an account. And if you've never before thought upon that, it is well that you think upon that now, because that day will come, that moment and our experience will arrive when we will stand before God, because John saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The great judgment day. And Christ, He came into the world to save us from that moment, from the horrors of that moment. Jesus Christ was commissioned to come into this world as a man, to live as a man for us, to die as a man for us. The perfect man, the only perfect man who ever lived. He was the chosen man for this great work, this work of salvation. And He is the only Savior. There is none other. He was commissioned to be our Savior. Let's also think about His credentials. Great military leaders, they need to be inspirational. They need to be brave. They need to be wise. They need to be thoughtful. They need to be able to think ahead. They need to be loyal. They need to be principled. They need to be people of honor. Great military leaders need great, credential, need great credentials. They need to be well qualified for their work. Sir Winston Churchill, I suppose, he was a politician, but yet... Many would believe he was also our greatest military leader. He could read the times. He could see that war was coming and that war had to be fought. He knew that war was inevitable. He knew how to inspire the morale of a nation. He knew how to lead the way. But Christ has all the credentials of the greatest leader of all. He is the perfect leader because he alone is the perfect man. And yet he was humble. He was humble. The greatest of people are often the humblest of people. In fact, the people who are great, who know they are great, who think they are great, are often not great at all by virtue of the fact that they are filled with so much pride. And yet Jesus Christ was the one who made the heavens and the earth. We are told, without him wasn't anything made that was made. We are told that He fashioned all things. We are told that He came into this world. He performed the most astonishing miracles. person of immense power. The very power of God was His because He is the second person of the Trinity. But yet, He humbled Himself. He came into this world in human flesh. He didn't come into a a palace. He came into a stable. He didn't grow up as a, a boy in the company of kings, but in the company of a carpenter. He lived this life not enjoying the luxuries of this world, 
And yet within him, there was all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He humbled himself. He was obedient to his Father. And that's another mark of someone that is truly great, the ability to obey and to listen. And he listened to his Father. And he came into this world, yielded himself to the Father's will. He showed himself to be kind. He showed himself to be loyal. He showed himself to be true. His word was his bond. He says to us today, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there are many in this world that are burdened. Many that are suffering. Perhaps you are suffering. Perhaps you are burdened. Perhaps you are carrying burdens tonight that others don't know. Others don't recognize. And you have them there within your heart and within your soul. And here is this man, Christ Jesus, the one that had the power to bring Lazarus from the dead. And he says to you, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the one who saw old blind Bartimaeus by the wayside begging, rescued him. He was the one that took pity upon that mother who was weeping because her son was being laid to rest, the widow of Nain. He was the one who saw the tears of Mary and Martha, and we are told that he wept with them. Oh, his credentials! What power, but yet what kindness. The ability to forgive on that cross as they were doing their worst to him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Never was there a man who spoke like this man. Never was there a man who did as he did. Never was there a man who lived the life that he lived. The credentials of Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. Oh, that our eyes were turned toward him this evening. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. The things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. To have Christ as your friend is to have the greatest friend of all. For what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. Let's also think about his, his commitment. Christ, as the captain of our salvation, was absolutely and completed, absolutely and completely committed. Committed to his work. The cross of Christ was what he came to do. He came to die. And we are told that he obeyed, but he was obedient unto death. But he didn't just die. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He came to die on the cross. And what was so significant about that? What was so significant about the cross? Well, there was the, the physical entity of the cross. What the cross represented, because the cross was the most severe form of torture that any people had ever contrived. No one before nor since had managed to inflict such cruelty upon their victims as the Romans did. They had the whole art of torture down to fine art. And so the cross was such a torturous way to die, an awful way to die. Complete descriptions of what it meant to be crucified would make us physically sick. The suffering that he embraced. He embraced that cross for us. It was the, the death of the lowest of the low. 
The Romans reserved this death for those that had committed the most awful crimes. And yet, what did he do? Even his very judge, Pilate, said, I can find no fault in this man. He was delivered to Pilate because the Jewish leaders hated him. They despised him. They were envious of him. They didn't like his power. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like the following he had amongst the people. And so they trumped up charges. They had him crucified. And Pilate was afraid because it was Passover time. And he was terrified. And because he'd have a riot in his hands. And therefore he capitulated and sent Jesus Christ, the innocent one, away to die. This terrible, awful, horrendous, humiliating, barbaric death. There was the physical entity of the cross. There was the spiritual entity of the cross. Because the cross, it represented the curse of God. Because we are told that when he was on that cross for three hours, there was blackness. The sun's face was veiled. It was an unnatural blackness when there should have been light. Instead of the morning light that day, there was blackness. And as he hung upon that cross, only the Father could see him in that blackness. And the curses of God's law were poured out upon him. And that's why he cried out at the end of that darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Why? Why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken by his Father. Because of our sin. Because that's what our sin deserves. Our sin deserves that we should be forsaken by God forever. That's what hell is all about. A place where God forsakes the sinner. Where you can't feel love and grace and mercy. But he was forsaken by his father for us. Not for himself, but for us. He took the penalty for us. He was our substitute. He died for us. He laid down his life for us. The cross, you know, was the greatest battle ever fought. The captain of our salvation, leading the way, going alone. He faced the law of God for us. He also faced hell for us. And he faced death for us. Because he died. Immortality died. The one who is God died, laid down his life, a ransom for us that we might be set free. His commitment, he was entirely and completely committed to that. The courage that it took. The captain of our salvation. But finally, let's think about the conquest. Because we are told here that he, bring, he brings many sons to glory through his suffering. In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So through his sufferings, he brings sinners to heaven. He makes sinners the sons of God. He brings us to heaven. The conquest. You see, we can only fully understand the conquest that our captain experienced and accomplished when we come to the empty tomb on that third day. The stone was rolled away. And he came forth in glory and in power. Astonishing. It's the proof that Christianity is the one and only true religion. Because Jesus Christ lives. Those who say that the era of Christianity has gone. Those who say that Christianity is based on myths. Those who say such things 
They have a challenge. They have to prove that Christ Jesus never, ever rose again. And that's quite a challenge. Because when you look at the testimony of the apostles, of the disciples, and look at the records of those that saw him, when you look at how Christianity has gone forth into all the world from that little despised company of people in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ lives. Look at the lives that he changes. Look at the hope that he brings. Look at the peace he accomplishes. Look at the souls he captures. Because he brings sons to glory. You see, a a captain, a great leader, conquers the enemy. And Christ, he conquers our hearts. Because without God, we are the enemies of God. In our sinful state, we are in opposition to God. But Christ came into the world to make us his captive people, that we might be surrendered to him, that our hearts might be surrendered to him. I wonder if you surrendered your heart to this great captain. It's the only way by which you can be saved. It's the only way by which you can have hope. It's the only way by which you can have eternal life. Whenever you give Jesus Christ your heart, and you've been holding that back, haven't you? You've been wanting your own life, your own way, But he says, you've had your way. Now you need to come my way. And the way of the cross leads home. We're only in this world for a little moment, for a little time. It's all going to be over. Eternity will dawn. And where will you be? And here there is hope. The most amazing and astonishing hope that ever was. Through this great captain who died for us that we might have life. Have you given your life to him? And if not, you give Christ your life tonight. Let us pray. You're here tonight without the Lord. How can you be a Christian? Some people ask that. You simply say to the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. Will you save me? And he will, you know. He will. If you want to talk to me about these things, I am here. You can talk to me about the things of God afterwards. Father, we thank you for your word. Write it upon every heart. For Christ's sake. Amen. I'm going to sing the four verses of In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. During the, the fourth verse, David and myself will hand the standards back. And then we'll have the the benediction, and then we'll remain standing for the singing of the, the national anthem.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence with us tonight. We pray that you would continue to speak to each of our hearts. We pray that you would receive our thanks for the food that has been provided and be with us as we fellowship the one with the other. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our continued and abiding portion now and evermore. Amen. You may be seated. 